Section 4 of The Magic Skin by Honoré Balzac Translated by Ellen Marriage This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 4 Three months later, an agent made over to me 1,112 francs, the net proceeds of the winding up of my father's affairs. Our creditors had driven us to sell our furniture. From my childhood, I had been used to set a high value on the articles of luxury about us, and I could not help showing my astonishment at the sight of this meagre balance. Oh, Rococo, all of it, said the auctioneer, a terrible word that fell like a blight on the sacred memories of my childhood and dispelled my earliest illusions the dearest of all my entire fortune was comprised in this account rendered my future lay in a linen bag with eleven hundred and twelve francs in it human society stood before me in the person of an auctioneer's clerk who kept his hat on while he spoke jonathan an old servant who was much attached to me and whom my mother had formerly pensioned with an annuity of four hundred francs spoke to me as i was leaving the house that i had so often gaily left for a drive in my childhood be very economical monsieur raphael the good fellow was crying such were the events dear emile that ruled my destinies moulded my character and set me while still young in an utterly false social position said raphael after a pause family ties weak ones it is true bound me to a few wealthy houses but my own pride would have kept me aloof from them if contempt and indifference had not shut their doors on me in the first place i was related to people who were very influential and who lavished their patronage on strangers but i found neither relations nor patrons in them continually circumscribed in my affections they recoiled upon me unreserved and simple by nature i must have appeared frigid and sophisticated my father's discipline had destroyed all confidence in myself i was shy and awkward i could not believe that my opinion carried any weight whatever i took no pleasure in myself i thought myself ugly and was ashamed to meet my own eyes in spite of the inward voice that must be the stay of a man with anything in him in all his struggles the voice that cries courage go forward in spite of sudden revelations of my own strength in my solitude in spite of the hopes that thrilled me as i compared new works that the public admired so much with the schemes that hovered in my brain in spite of all this i had a childish mistrust of myself an overwhelming ambition preyed upon me i believed that i was meant for great things and yet i felt myself to be nothing i had need of other men and i was friendless i found i must make my way in the world where i was quite alone and bashful rather than afraid all through the year in which by my father's wish i threw myself into the whirlpool of fashionable society i came away with an inexperienced heart and fresh in mind like every grown child i sighed in secret for a love affair i met among young men of my own age a set of swaggerers who held their heads high and talked about 
trifles as they seated themselves without a tremor beside women who inspired awe in me they chattered nonsense sucked the heads of their canes gave themselves affected airs appropriated the fairest women and laid or pretended that they had laid their heads on every pillow pleasure seemingly was at their beck and call they looked on the most virtuous and prudish as an easy prey ready to surrender at a word at the slightest impudent gesture or insolent look i declare on my soul and conscience that the attainment of power or of a great name in literature seemed to me an easier victory than a success with some young witty and gracious lady of high degree so i found the tumult of my heart my feelings and my creeds all at variance with the axioms of society i had plenty of audacity in my character but none in my manner later i found out that women did not like to be implored i have from afar adored many a one to whom i devoted a soul proof against all tests a heart to break energy that shrank from no sacrifice and from no torture they accepted fools whom i would not have engaged as hall porters how often mute and motionless have i not admired the lady of my dreams swaying in the dance given up my life in thought to one eternal caress expressed all my hopes in a look and laid before her in my rapture a young man's love which should outstrip all fables at some moments i was ready to barter my whole life for one single night yet as i could never find a listener for my impassioned proposals eyes to rest my own upon a heart made for my heart i lived on in all the sufferings of impotent force that consumes itself lacking either opportunity or courage or experience i despaired maybe of making myself understood or i feared to be understood but too well and yet the storm within me was ready to burst at every chance courteous look in spite of my readiness to take the semblance of interest in look or word for a tender solicitude i dared neither to speak nor to be silent seasonably my words grew insignificant and my silence stupid by sheer stress of emotion i was too ingenuous no doubt for that artificial life led by candlelight where every thought is expressed in conventional phrases or by words that fashion dictates and not only so i had not learned how to employ speech that says nothing and silence that says a great deal in short i concealed the fires that consumed me and with such a soul as women wish to find with all the elevation of soul that they long for and a metal that fools plume themselves upon all women have been cruelly treacherous to me so in my simplicity i admired the heroes of this set when they bragged about their conquests and never suspected them of lying no doubt it was a mistake to wish for a love that springs for a word's sake to expect to find in the heart of a vain frivolous woman greedy for luxury and intoxicated with vanity the great sea of passion that surged tempestuously in my own breast oh to feel that you were born to love 
to make some woman's happiness and yet to find not one not even a noble and courageous marceline not so much as an old marquis oh to carry a treasure in your wallet and not find even some child or inquisitive young girl to admire it in my despair i often wished to kill myself finally tragical to-night cried emile let me pass sentence on my life raphael answered if your friendship is not strong enough to bear with my elegy if you cannot put up with half an hour's tedium for my sake go to sleep but then never ask again for the reason of suicide that hangs over me that comes nearer and calls to me that i bow myself before if you are to judge a man you must know his secret thoughts sorrows and feelings to know merely the outward events of a man's life would only serve to make a chronological table a fool's notion of history emile was so much struck with the bitter tones in which these words were spoken that he began to pay close attention to raphael whom he watched with a bewildered expression now continued the speaker all these things that befell me appear in a new light the sequence of events that i once thought so unfortunate created the splendid powers of which later i became so proud if i may believe you i possess the power of readily expressing my thoughts and i could take a forward place in the great field of knowledge and is not this the result of scientific curiosity of excessive application and the love of reading which possessed me from the age of seven till my entry into life the very neglect in which i was left and the consequent habits of self-repression and self-concentration did not these things teach me how to consider and reflect nothing in me was squandered in obedience to the exactions of the world which humble the proudest soul and reduce it to a mere husk and was it not this very fact that refined the emotional part of my nature till it became the perfected instrument of a loftier purpose than passionate desires i remember watching the women who mistook me with all the insight of contempt love i can see now that my natural sincerity must have been displeasing to them women perhaps even require a little hypocrisy and i who in the same hour's space am alternately a man and a child frivolous and thoughtful free from bias and brimful of superstition and oftentimes myself as much a woman as any of them how should they do otherwise than take my simplicity for cynicism my innocent candour for impudence they found my knowledge tiresome my feminine languor weakness i was held to be listless and incapable of love or of steady purpose a too active imagination that curse of poets was no doubt the cause my silence was idiotic and as i dare say i alarmed them by my efforts to please women one and all have condemned me with tears and mortification i bowed before the decision of the world but my distress was not barren i determined to revenge myself on society i would dominate the feminine intellect and so have the feminine soul at my mercy all eyes should be fixed upon me when the servant at the door announced my name 
I had determined from my childhood that I would be a great man. I said with André Chenier as I struck my forehead, There is something underneath that, I felt. I believed the thought within me that I must express, the system I must establish, the knowledge I must interpret. Let me pour out my follies, dear Emile. Today I am barely twenty-six years old, certain of dying unrecognized, and I have never been the lover of the woman I dreamed of possessing. Have we not, all of us, more or less, believed in the reality of a thing because we wished it? I would never have a young man for my friend who did not place himself in dreams upon a pedestal, weave crowns for his head, and have complacent mistresses. I myself would often be a general, nay, emperor. I have been a Byron, and then a nobody. After this sport, on these pinnacles of human achievement, I became aware that all the difficulties and steeps of life were yet to face. My exuberant self-esteem came to my aid. I had that intense belief in my destiny, which perhaps amounts to genius in those who will not permit themselves to be distracted by contact with the world, as sheep that leave their wool on the briars of every thicket they pass by. I meant to cover myself with glory, and to work in silence for the mistress I hoped to have one day. Women for me were resumed into a single type, and this woman I looked to meet in the first that met my eyes, but in each and all I saw a queen, and as queens must make the first advances to their lovers, they must draw near to me, to me, so sickly, shy, and poor. For her, who should take pity on me, my heart held in store such gratitude over and beyond love that I had worshipped her her whole life long. Later my observations have taught me bitter truths. In this way, dear Emile, I run the risk of remaining companionless for good. The incomprehensible bent of women's minds appears to lead them to see nothing but the weak points in a clever man and the strong points of a fool. They feel the liveliest sympathy with the fool's good qualities which perpetually flatter their own defects, while they find the man of talents hardly agreeable enough to compensate for his shortcomings. All capacity is a sort of intermittent fever, and no woman is anxious to share in its discomforts only. They look to find in their lovers the wherewithal to gratify their own vanity. It is themselves that they love in us, but the artist, poor and proud, along with his endowment of creative power, is furnished with an aggressive egotism. Everything about him is involved in I know not what whirlpool of his ideas, and even his mistress must gyrate along with them. How is a woman, spoilt with praise, to believe in the love of a man like that? Will she go to seek him out? That sort of lover has not the leisure to sit beside a sofa and give himself up to the sentimental simperings that women are so fond of and on which the false and unfeeling pride themselves. He cannot spare the time from his work, and how can he afford to humble himself and go a masquerading? 
I was ready to give my life once and for all, but I could not degrade it in detail. Besides, there is something indescribably paltry in a stockbroker's tactics who runs on errands for some insipid affected woman. All this disgusts an artist. Love in the abstract is not enough for a great man in poverty. He has need of its utmost devotion. The frivolous creatures who spend their lives in trying on cashmeres or make themselves into clothes pegs to hang the fashion from exact the devotion which is not theirs to give. For them love means the pleasure of ruling and not of obeying. She who is really a wife, one in heart, flesh, and bone, must follow wherever he leads, in whom her life, her strength, her pride, and happiness are centered. Ambitious men need those oriental women, whose whole thought is given to the study of their requirements, for unhappiness means for them the incompatibility of their means with their desires. But I, who took myself for a man of genius, must needs feel attracted by these very she coxcombs. So, as I cherished ideas so differently from those generally received, as I wished to scale the heavens without a ladder, was possessed of wealth that could not circulate, and of knowledge so wide and so imperfectly arranged and digested that it overtaxed my memory. As I had neither relations nor friends in the midst of this lonely and ghastly desert, a desert of paving stones full of animation, life, and thought, wherein every one is worse than inimical, indifferent to it. I made a very natural, if foolish, resolve, which required such unknown impossibilities that my spirits rose. It was as if I had laid a wager with myself, for I was at once the player and the cards. This was my plan. The eleven hundred francs must keep life in me for three years, the time I allowed myself in which to bring to light a work which should draw attention to me and make me either a name or a fortune. I exulted at the thought of living on bread and milk like a hermit in the Thebaid, while I plunged into the world of books and ideas, and so reached a lofty sphere beyond the tumult of Paris, a sphere of silent labor where I would entomb myself like a chrysalis to await a brilliant and splendid new birth. I imperiled my life in order to live, by reducing my requirements to real needs and the barest necessaries, I found that three hundred and sixty-five francs sufficed for a year of penury, and in fact I managed to exist on that slender sum so long as I submitted to my own claustral discipline. Impossible, cried Emile. I lived for nearly three years in that way, Raphael answered with a kind of pride. Let us reckon it out. Three sous for bread, two for milk, and three for cold meat kept me from dying of hunger, and my mind in a state of peculiar lucidity. I have observed, as you know, the wonderful effects produced by diet upon the imagination. My lodgings cost me three sous daily. I burnt three sous more in oil at night. 
I did my own housework, and wore flannel shirts so as to reduce the laundress's bill to two sous per day. The money I spent yearly in coal, if divided up, never cost more than two sous for each day. I had three years' supply of clothing, and I only dressed when going out to some library or public lecture. These expenses, all told, only amounted to eighteen sous, so two were left over for emergencies. I cannot recollect, during that long period of toil, either crossing the Pont des Arts or paying for water. I went out to fetch it every morning from the fountain in the Place Saint-Michel, at the corner of the Rue de Grès. Oh, I wore my poverty proudly. A man urged on towards a fair future walks through life like an innocent person to his death. He feels no shame about it. I would not think of illness. Like Aquilena, I faced the hospital without terror. I had not a moment's doubt of my health, and besides, the poor can only take to their beds to die. I cut my own hair till the day when an angel of love and kindness, but I do not want to anticipate the state of things that I shall reach later. You must simply know that I lived with one grand thought for a mistress, a dream, an illusion which deceives us all more or less at first. Today I laugh at myself, at that self, holy perhaps and heroic, which is now no more. I have since had a closer view of society and the world, of our manners and customs, and seen the dangers of my innocent credulity and the superfluous nature of my fervent toil. Stores of that sort are quite useless to aspirants for fame. Light should be the baggage of seekers after fortune. Ambitious men spend their youth in rendering themselves worthy of patronage. It is their great mistake. While the foolish creatures are laying in stores of knowledge and energy so that they shall not sink under the weight of responsible posts that recede from them, schemers come and go who are wealthy in words and destitute in ideas. Astonish the ignorant and creep into the confidence of those who have a little knowledge. While the first kind study, the second march ahead. The one sort is modest and the other impudent. The man of genius is silent about his own merits, but these schemers make a flourish of theirs, and they are bound to get on. It is so strongly to the interest of men in office to believe in ready-made capacity and in brazen-faced merit, that it is downright childish of the learned to expect material rewards. I do not seek to paraphrase the commonplace moral, the song of songs, that obscure genius is forever singing. I want to come in a logical manner by the reason of the frequent successes of mediocrity. Alas! study shows us such a mother's kindness that it would be a sin perhaps to ask any other reward of her than the pure and delightful pleasures with which she sustains her children often i remember soaking my bread in milk as i sat by the window to take the fresh air while my eyes wandered over a view of roofs brown gray or red slated or tiled and covered with yellow or green mosses, 
at first the prospect may have seemed monotonous but i very soon found peculiar beauties in it sometimes at night streams of light through half-closed shutters would light up and color the dark abysses of this strange landscape sometimes the feeble lights of the street lamps sent up yellow gleams through the fog and in each street dimly outlined the undulations of a crowd of roofs like billows in a motionless sea very occasionally too a face appeared in the gloomy waste above the flowers in some sky garden i caught a glimpse of an old woman's crooked angular profile as she watered her nasturtiums or in a crazy attic window a young girl fancying herself quite alone as she dressed herself a view of nothing more than a fair forehead and long tresses held above her by a pretty white arm i liked to see the short-lived plant life in the gutters poor weeds that a storm soon washed away i studied the mosses with their colors revived by showers or transformed by the sun into a brown velvet that fitfully caught the light such things as these formed my recreations the passing poetic moods of daylight the melancholy mists sudden gleams of sunlight the silence and the magic of night the mysteries of dawn the smoke wreaths from each chimney every chance event in fact in my curious world became familiar to me i came to love this prison of my own choosing this level parisian prairie of roofs beneath which lay populous abysses suited my humour and harmonized with my thoughts sudden descents into the world from the divine height of scientific meditation are very exhausting and besides i had apprehended perfectly the bare life of the cloister when i made up my mind to carry out this new plan of life i looked for quarters in the most out-of-the-way parts of paris one evening as i returned home to the rue des cordiers from the place de l'astrapade i saw a girl of fourteen playing with a battledore at the corner of the rue de cluny her winsome ways and laughter amused the neighbors september was not yet over it was warm and fine so that the women sat chatting before their doors as if it were a fete day in some country town at first i watched the charming expression of the girl's face and her graceful attitudes her pose fit for a painter it was a pretty sight i looked about me seeking to understand this blithe simplicity in the midst of paris and saw that the street was a blind alley and but little frequented i remembered that jean jacques had once lived here and looked up the hotel saint quentin its dilapidated condition awakened the hopes of a cheap lodging and i determined to enter i found myself in a room with a low ceiling the candles in classic-looking copper candlesticks were set in a row under each key the predominating cleanliness of the room made a striking contrast to the usual state of such places this one was as neat as a bit of genre there was a charming trimness about the blue coverless the cooking pots and furniture 
the mistress of the house rose and came to me she seemed to be about forty years of age sorrows had left their traces on her features and weeping had dimmed her eyes i deferentially mentioned the amount i could pay it seemed to cause her no surprise she sought out a key from the row went up to the attics with me and showed me a room that looked out on the neighboring roofs and courts long poles with linen drying on them hung out of the window nothing could be uglier than this garret awaiting its scholar with its dingy yellow walls and odor of poverty the room fell in a steep slope and the sky was visible through chinks in the tiles there was room for a bed a table and a few chairs and beneath the highest point of the roof my piano could stand not being rich enough to furnish this cage that might have been one of the piombi of venice the poor woman had never been able to let it and as i had saved from the recent sale the furniture that was in a fashion peculiarly mine i very soon came to terms with my landlady and moved in on the following day for three years i lived in this airy sepulchre and worked unflaggingly day and night and so great was the pleasure that study seemed to me the fairest theme and the happiest solution of life the tranquillity and peace that a scholar needs is something as sweet and exhilarating as love unspeakable joys are showered on us by the exertion of our mental faculties the quest of ideas and the tranquil contemplation of knowledge delights indescribable because purely intellectual and impalpable to our senses so we are obliged to use material terms to express the mysteries of the soul the pleasure of striking out in some lonely lake of clear water with forests rocks and flowers around and the soft stirring of the warm breeze all this would give to those who knew them not a very faint idea of the exultation with which my soul bathed itself in the beams of an unknown light hearkened to the awful and uncertain voice of inspiration as vision upon vision poured from some unknown source through my throbbing brain no earthly pleasure can compare with the divine delight of watching the dawn of an idea in the space of abstractions as it rises like the morning sun an idea that better still attains gradually like a child to puberty and man's estate study lends a kind of enchantment to all our surroundings the wretched desk covered with brown leather at which i wrote my piano bed and armchair the odd wallpaper and furniture seem to have for me a kind of life in them and to be humble friends of mine and mute partakers of my destiny how often have i confided my soul to them in a glance a warped bit of beading often met my eyes and suggested new developments a striking proof of my system or a felicitous word by which to render my all but inexpressible thought by sheer contemplation of the things about me i discerned an expression and a character in each if the setting sun happened to steal in through my narrow window they would take new colors fade or shine grow dull or gay 
and always amazed me with some new effect these trifling incidents of a solitary life which escape those preoccupied with outward affairs make the solace of prisoners and what was i but the captive of an idea imprisoned in my system but sustained also by the prospect of a brilliant future at each obstacle that i overcame i seemed to kiss the soft hands of a woman with a fair face a wealthy well-dressed woman who should some day say softly while she caressed my hair poor angel how thou hast suffered i had undertaken two great works one a comedy that in a very short time must bring me wealth and fame and an entry into those circles whither i wished to return to exercise the royal privileges of a man of genius you all saw nothing in that masterpiece but the blunder of a young man fresh from college a babyish fiasco your jokes clipped the wings of a throng of illusions which have never stirred since within me you dear emile alone brought soothing to the deep wounds that others had made in my heart you alone will admire my theory of the will i devoted most of my time to that long work for which i studied oriental languages physiology and anatomy if i do not deceive myself my labors will complete the task begun by mesmer lavate gall and bicot and open up new paths in science there ends that fair life of mine the daily sacrifice the unrecognized silkworm's toil that is perhaps its own sole recompense since attaining years of discretion until the day when i finished my theory i observed learned wrote and read unintermittently my life was one long imposition as schoolboys say though by nature effeminately attached to oriental indolence sensual in tastes and a wooer of dreams i worked incessantly and refused to taste any of the enjoyments of parisian life though a glutton i became abstemious and loving exercise and sea voyages as i did and haunted by the wish to visit many countries still child enough to play at ducks and drakes with pebbles over a pond i led a sedentary life with a pen in my fingers i liked talking but i went to sit and mutely listen to professors who gave public lectures at the bibliotheque or the museum i slept upon my solitary pallet like a benedictine brother the woman was my one chimera a chimera that fled from me as i wooed it in short my life has been a cruel contradiction a perpetual cheat after that judge a man sometimes my natural propensities broke out like a fire long smothered I was debarred from the women whose society I desired, stripped of everything and lodged in an artist's garret, and by a sort of mirage or calenture I was surrounded by captivating mistresses. I drove through the streets of Paris, lolling on the soft cushions of a fine equipage. I plunged into dissipation, into corroding vice. I desired and possessed everything, for fasting had made me light-headed like the tempted st anthony slumber 
happily would put an end at last to these devastating trances and on the morrow science would beckon me smiling and i was faithful to her i imagine that women reputed virtuous must often fall a prey to these insane tempests of desire and passion which rise in us in spite of ourselves such dreams have a charm of their own they are something akin to evening gossip round the winter fire when one sets out for some voyage in china but what becomes of virtue during these delicious excursions when fancy overleaps all difficulties during the first ten months of seclusion i led the life of poverty and solitude that i have described to you i used to steal out unobserved every morning to buy my own provisions for the day i tidied my room i was at once master and servant and played the diogenes with incredible spirit but afterwards while my hostess and her daughter watched my ways and behavior scrutinized my appearance and divined my poverty there could not but be some bonds between us perhaps because they were themselves so very poor pauline the charming child whose latent and unconscious grace had in a manner brought me there did me many services that i could not well refuse all women fallen on evil days are sisters they speak a common language they have the same generosity the generosity that possesses nothing and so is lavish of its affection of its time and of its very self imperceptibly pauline took me under her protection and would do things for me no kind of objection was made by her mother whom i even surprised mending my linen she blushed for the charitable occupation in spite of myself they took charge of me and i accepted their services in order to understand the peculiar condition of my mind my preoccupation with work must be remembered the tyranny of ideas and the instinctive repugnance that a man who leads an intellectual life must ever feel for the material details of existence could i well repulse the delicate attentions of pauline who would noiselessly bring me my frugal repast when she noticed that i had taken nothing for seven or eight hours she had the tact of a woman and the inventiveness of a child she would smile as she made sign to me that i must not see her ariel glided under my roof in the form of a sylph who foresaw every want of mine one evening pauline told me her story with touching simplicity her father had been a major in the horse grenadiers of the imperial guard he had been taken prisoner by the cossacks at the passage of beresina and when napoleon later on proposed an exchange the russian authorities made search for him in siberia in vain he had escaped with a view of reaching india and since then madame godin my landlady could hear no news of her husband then came the disasters of eighteen fourteen and eighteen fifteen and left alone without resource she had decided to let furnished lodgings in order to keep herself and her daughter she always hoped to see her husband again her greatest trouble was about her daughter's education the princess borghese was her pauline's godmother and pauline must not be unworthy of the fair future promised by her imperial protectress 
when Madame Gaudin confided to me this heavy trouble that preyed upon her, she said, with sharp pain in her voice, I would give up the property and the scrap of paper that makes Gaudin a baron of the empire, and all my rights to the endowment of Wistnow, if only Pauline could be brought up at St. Denis. Her words struck me. Now I could show my gratitude for the kindnesses expended on me by the two women. All at once the idea of offering to finish Pauline's education occurred to me, and the offer was made and accepted in the most perfect simplicity. In this way I came to have some hours of recreation. Pauline had natural aptitude. She learned so quickly that she soon surpassed me at the piano, and she became accustomed to think aloud in my presence. She unfolded all the sweet refinements of a heart that was opening itself out to life, as some flower cup opened slowly to the sun. She listened to me, pleased and thoughtful, letting her dark velvet eyes rest upon me with a half-smile in them. She repeated her lessons in soft and gentle tones, and showed childish glee when I was satisfied with her. Her mother grew more and more anxious every day to shield the young girl from every danger, for all the beauty promised in early life was developing in the crescent moon, and was glad to see her spend whole days indoors in study. My piano was the only one she could use, and while I was out she practiced on it. When I came home, Pauline would be in my room, in her shabby dress, but her slightest movement revealed her slender figure in its attractive grace, in spite of the coarse materials that she wore. As with the heroine of the fable of Paudin, a dainty foot peeped out of the clumsy shoes, but all her wealth of girlish beauty was as lost upon me. I had laid commands upon myself to see a sister only in Pauline. I dreaded lest I should betray her mother's faith in me. I admired the lovely girl as if she had been a picture, or as the portrait of a dead mistress. She was at once my child and my statue. For me, another Pygmalion, the maiden with the hues of life and the living voice, was to become a form of inanimate marble. I was very strict with her, but the more I made her feel my pedagogue's severity, the more gentle and submissive she grew. If a generous feeling strengthened me in my reserve and self-restraint, prudent considerations were not lacking beside. Integrity of purpose cannot, I think, fail to accompany integrity in money matters. To my mind, to become insolvent or to betray a woman is the same sort of thing. If you love a young girl or allow yourself to be loved by her, a contract is implied and its conditions should be thoroughly understood. We are free to break with the woman who sells herself, but not with the young girl who has given herself to us and does not know the extent of her sacrifice. I must have married Pauline, and that would have been madness. Would it not have given over that sweet girlish heart to terrible misfortunes? My poverty made its selfish voice heard, and set an iron barrier between that gentle nature and mine. Besides, I am ashamed to say that I cannot imagine love in the midst of poverty. Perhaps this is a vitiation 
due to that malady of mankind called civilization but a woman in squalid poverty would exert no fascination over me were she attractive as homer's galatea the fair helen ah vive l'amour but let it be in silk and cashmere surrounded with the luxury which so marvellously embellishes it for is it not perhaps itself a luxury i enjoy making havoc with an elaborate erection of scented hair i like to crush flowers to disarrange and crease a smart toilette at will a bizarre attraction lies for me in burning eyes that blaze through a lace veil like flame through cannon smoke my way of love would be to mount by a silken ladder in the silence of a winter night and what bliss to reach all powdered with snow a perfumed room with hangings of painted silk to find a woman there who likewise shakes away the snow from her for what other name can be found for the white muslin wrappings that vaguely define her like some angel form issuing from a cloud and then i wish for furtive joys for the security of audacity i want to see once more that woman of mystery but let it be in the throng dazzling unapproachable adored on all sides dressed in laces and ablaze with diamonds laying her commands upon every one so exalted above us that she inspires awe and none dares to pay his homage to her she gives me a stolen glance amid her court a look that exposes the unreality of all this that resigns for me the world and all men in it truly i have scorned myself for a passion for a few yards of lace velvet and fine lawn and the hairdresser's feats of skill a love of wax lights a carnage and a title a heraldic coronet painted on window-panes or engraved by a jeweller in short a liking for all that is adventitious and least woman in woman i have scorned and reasoned with myself but all in vain a woman of rank with her subtle smile her high-born air and self-esteem captivates me the barriers she erects between herself and the world awaken my vanity a good half of love there would be more relish for me in bliss that all others envied if my mistress does nothing that other women do and neither lives nor conducts herself like them wears a cloak that they cannot attain breathes a perfume of her own then she seems to rise far above me the further she rises from earth even in the earthier aspects of love the fairer she becomes for me luckily for me we have had no queen in france these twenty years for i should have fallen in love with her a woman must be wealthy to acquire the manners of a princess what place had pauline among these far-fetched imaginings could she bring me the love that is death that brings every faculty into play the nights that are paid for by life we hardly die i think for an insignificant girl who gives herself to us and i could never extinguish these feelings and poets dreams within me i was born for an inaccessible love and fortune has overtopped my desire how often have i set satin shoes on pauline's tiny feet 
confined her form slender as a young poplar in a robe of gauze and thrown a loose scarf about her as i saw her tread the carpets in her mansion and led her out to her splendid carriage in such guise i should have adored her i endowed her with all the pride she lacked stripped her of her virtues her natural simple charm and frank smile in order to plunge her heart into our sticks of depravity that makes invulnerable load her with our crimes and make of her the fantastical doll of our drawing-rooms the frail being who lies about in the morning and comes to life again at night with the dawn of tapers pauline was fresh-hearted and affectionate i would have had her cold and formal in the last days of my frantic folly memory brought pauline before me as it brings the scenes of our childhood and made me pause to muse over past delicious moments that softened my heart i sometimes saw her the adorable girl who sat quietly sewing at my table wrapped in her meditations the faint light from my window fell upon her and was reflected back in silvery rays from her thick black hair sometimes i heard her young laughter or the rich tones of her voice singing some casonet that she composed without effort and often my pauline seemed to grow greater as music flowed from her and her face bore a striking resemblance to the noble one that carlo dolci chose for the type of italy my cruel memory brought her back athwart the dissipations of my existence like a remorse or a symbol of purity but let us leave the poor child to her own fate whatever her troubles may have been at any rate i protected her from a menacing tempest i did not drag her down into my hell until last winter i led the uneventful studious life of which i have given you some faint picture in the earliest days of december eighteen twenty nine i came across rastignac who in spite of the shabby condition of my wardrobe linked his arm in mine and inquired into my affairs with a quite brotherly interest caught by his engaging manner i gave him a brief account of my life and hopes he began to laugh and treated me as a mixture of a man of genius and a fool his gascon accent and knowledge of the world the easy life his clever management procured for him all produced an irresistible effect upon me i should die an unrecognized failure in a hospital rastignac said and be buried in a pauper's grave he talked of charlatanism every man of genius was a charlatan he plainly showed me in that pleasant way of his that makes him so fascinating he insisted that i must be out of my senses and would be my own death if i lived on alone in the rue des cordiers according to him i ought to go into society to accustom people to the sound of my name and to rid myself of the simple title of monsieur which sits but ill on a great man in his lifetime those who know no better he cried call this sort of business scheming and moral people condemn it for a dissipated life we need not stop to look at what people think you see the results you work you say very good but nothing will ever come of that now 
I am ready for anything and fit for nothing, as lazy as a lobster. Very likely, but I succeed everywhere. I go out into society. I push myself forward. The others make way before me. I brag and am believed. I incur debts which somebody else pays. Dissipation, dear boy, is a methodical policy. The life of a man who deliberately runs through his fortune often becomes a business speculation. His friends, his pleasures, patrons, and acquaintances are his capital. Suppose a merchant runs a risk of a million. For twenty years he can neither sleep, eat, nor amuse himself. He is brooding over his million. It makes him run about all over Europe. He worries himself, goes to the devil in every way that man has invented. Then comes a liquidation, such as I have seen myself, which very often leaves him penniless and without a reputation or a friend. The spendthrift, on the other hand, takes life as a serious game and sees his horses run. He loses his capital, perhaps, but he stands a chance of being nominated receiver-general, of making a wealthy marriage, or of an appointment of attaché to a minister or ambassador, and he has his friends left and his name, and he never wants money. He knows the standing of everybody, and uses every one for his own benefit. Is this logical, or am I a madman after all? Haven't you there all the moral of the comedy that goes on every day in the world? Your work is completed, he went on after a pause. You are immensely clever. Well, you have only arrived at my starting point. Now you had better look after its success yourself. It is the surest way. You will make allies in every clique and secure applause beforehand. I mean to go halves in your glory myself. I shall be the jeweler who sets the diamonds in your crown. Come here to-morrow evening by way of a beginning. I will introduce you to a house where all Paris goes, all our Paris, that is, Paris of exquisites, millionaires, celebrities, all the folk who talk gold like criticism. When they have taken up a book, that book becomes the fashion, and if it is something really good for once, they will have declared it to be a work of genius without knowing it. If you have any sense, my dear fellow, you will ensure the success of your theory by a better understanding of the theory of success. Tomorrow evening you shall go to see the queen of the moment, the beautiful Countess Fyodora. I have never heard of her. You hottentot, laughed Rastignac. You do not know Fyodora? a great match with an income of nearly eighty thousand livres who has taken a fancy to nobody or else no one has taken a fancy to her a sort of feminine enigma a half russian parisian or a half parisian russian all the romantic productions that never get published are brought out at her house she is the handsomest woman in paris and the most gracious you are not even a hottentot you are something between the hottentot and the beast good-bye till to-morrow he swung round on his heel and made off without waiting for my answer it never occurred to him that a reasoning being might refuse an introduction to fyodora how can the fascination of a name be explained fyodora haunted me like some evil thought with which you seek to come to terms a voice said to me you are going to see fyodora 
in vain i reasoned with that voice saying that it lied to me all my arguments were defeated by the name feodora was not the name and even the woman herself the symbol of all my desires and the object of my life the name called up recollections of the conventional glitter of the world the upper world of paris with its brilliant fetes and the tinsel of its vanities the woman brought before me all the problems of passion on which my mind continually ran perhaps it was neither the woman nor the name but my own propensities that sprang up within me and tempted me afresh here was the countess feodora rich and loveless proof against the temptations of paris was not this woman the very incarnation of my hopes and visions i fashioned her for myself drew her in fancy and dreamed of her i could not sleep that night i became her lover i overbrimmed a few hours with a whole lifetime a lover's lifetime the experience of its prolific delight spurned me the next day i could not bear the tortures of delay i borrowed a novel and spent the whole day over it so that i could not possibly think nor keep account of the time till night feodora's name echoed through me even as i read but only as a distant sound though it could be heard it was not troublesome fortunately i owned a fairly creditable black coat and a white waistcoat of all my fortune there now remained about thirty francs which i had distributed about among my clothes and in my drawers so as to erect between my whims and the spending of a five-franc piece a thorny barrier of search and an adventurous peregrination round my room while i was dressing i dived about for my money in an ocean of papers this scarcity of specie will give you some idea of the value of that squandered upon gloves and cab hire a month's bread disappeared at one fell swoop alas money is always forthcoming for our caprices we only grudge the cost of things that are useful or necessary we recklessly fling gold to an opera dancer and haggle with a tradesman whose hungry family must wait for the settlement of our bill how many men are there that wear a coat that cost a hundred francs and carry a diamond in the head of their cane and dine for twenty-five sous for all that it seems as though we could never pay enough for the pleasures of vanity rastignac punctual to his appointment smiled at the transformation and joked about it on the way he gave me benevolent advice as to my conduct with the countess he described her as mean vain and suspicious but though mean she was ostentatious her vanity was transparent and her mistrust good-humoured you know i am pledged he said and what i should lose too if i tried a change in love so my observation of feodora has been quite cool and disinterested and my remarks must have some truth in them i was looking to your future when i thought of introducing you to her so mind very carefully what i am about to say she has a terrible memory she is clever enough to drive a diplomatist wild she would know it at once if he spoke the truth between ourselves 
i fancy that her marriage was not recognized by the emperor for the russian ambassador began to smile when i spoke of her he does not receive her either and only bows very coolly if he meets her in the bois for all that she is in madame de serzy's set and visits madame de nucingen and de Restaud. there is no cloud over her here in france the duchesse de carigliano the most straight-laced marechal in the whole bonaparte coterie often goes to spend the summer with her at her country house plenty of young fops sons of peers of france have offered her a title in exchange for her fortune and she has politely declined them all her susceptibilities maybe are not to be touched by anything less than a count aren't you a marquis go ahead if you fancy her this is what you may call receiving your instructions his raillery made me think that rastignac wished to joke and excite my curiosity so that i was in a paroxysm of my extemporized passion by the time that we stopped before a peristyle full of flowers my heart beat and my color rose as we went up the great carpeted staircase and i noticed about me all the studied refinements of english comfort i was infatuatedly bourgeois i forgot my origin and all my personal and family pride alas i had but just left a garret after three years of poverty and i could not just then set the treasures there acquired above such trifles as these nor could i rightly estimate the worth of the vast intellectual capital which turns to riches at the moment when opportunity comes within our reach opportunity that does not overwhelm because study has prepared us for the struggles of public life i found a woman of about twenty-two years of age she was of average height was dressed in white and held a feather fire-screen in her hand a group of men stood around her she rose at the side of rastignac and came towards us with a gracious smile and a musically uttered compliment prepared no doubt beforehand for me our friend had spoken of me as a rising man and his clever way of making the most of me had procured me this flattering reception i was confused by the attention that every one paid to me but rastignac had luckily mentioned my modesty i was brought in contact with scholars men of letters ex-ministers and peers of france the conversation interrupted a while by my coming was resumed i took courage feeling that i had a reputation to maintain and without abusing my privilege i spoke when it fell to me to speak trying to state the questions at issue in words more or less profound witty or trenchant and i made a certain sensation rastignac was a prophet for the thousandth time in his life as soon as the gathering was large enough to restore freedom to individuals he took my arm and we went round the rooms don't look as if you were too much struck by the princess he said or she will guess your object in coming to visit her the rooms were furnished in excellent taste each apartment had a character of its own as in wealthy english houses and the silken hangings the style of the furniture 
and the ornaments even the most trifling were all subordinated to the original idea in a gothic boudoir the doors were concealed by tapestried curtains and the panellings by hangings the clock and the pattern of the carpet were made to harmonize with the gothic surroundings the ceiling with its carved cross-beams of brown wood was full of charm and originality the panels were beautifully wrought nothing disturbed the general harmony of the scheme of decoration not even the windows with their rich colored glass i was surprised by the extensive knowledge of decoration that some artist had brought to bear on a little modern room it was so pleasant and fresh and not heavy but subdued with its dead gold hues it had all the vague sentiment of a german ballad it was a retreat fit for some romance of eighteen twenty seven perfumed by the exotic flowers set in their stands another apartment in the suite was a gilded reproduction of a louis quatorze period with modern paintings on the walls in odd but pleasant contrast end of section four